Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, our web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. In the program this week, we preview the New Zealand Track and Field Championships in Wellington. Hear from the Blues team doctor on Piriwepu's condition and investigate how bias affects rugby referees. We'll also look at how recent changes at the ICC will impact the Black Caps and catch up with the Black Sticks as they ramp up their preparations for the World Cup. It's usually the glamour track events that garner attention at athletic meets, but at the National Track and Field Champs in Wellington this weekend, it's the fuller figure shot putters who'll be centre stage. The four-time world shot put champion and the reigning Olympic champion Valerie Adams is competing, but most interest is on the men's event, with the burgeoning rivalry between Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill. Stephen Hewson looked at the key storylines heading into the weekend. Valerie Adams was in her usual winning form at the recent World Indoor Athletic Champs in Poland, and a 13th national title at Newtown Park seems all but assured. For me it's about being part of the whole national championship itself. You know, this is where I, I did start and it's, it's, it is important to me. While Adam's appearance is a draw card, it's the Christchurch shot putter Tom Walsh who's also created plenty of interest following his bronze medal at the World Indoor Champs. The 22-year-old Walsh beat the reigning Olympic champion Tomasz Majewski of Poland into fourth place. He carried that good form into a recent international meet in Melbourne, which he won and broke his own national outdoor record at the same time, adding over half a metre and throwing 21.16 metres. Going for my fifth national title, so yeah, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to you know, have another big throw, and I, and I know there's more left there yet, and, um, and we can, I can give, uh, give the New Zealand public and also Jack our show. Before the Indoor World Champs, Walsh spent time training with Valerie Adams in Switzerland, and while he'll return to Europe for more training in the lead-up to the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, he's also got to earn some more cash. That means he'll be back on the site for his Christchurch employer, Mike Greer-Holmes, something he's looking forward to. Mate, that's why I love building. Um, you know, I've already had a few texts from the boys on the work site, and they've been giving me shit and stuff like that. So it's, um, it's good just to change things up, mate. You can, get, you can get a bit boring if you just do one thing all the time. So it's, uh, I think it's good, great for me to talk about everything apart from athletics when I'm on the building site. 19-year-old Jack O'Gill hasn't competed this year, having been hampered by ongoing niggling injuries. But Athletics New Zealand high-performance manager Scott Goodman is hopeful Gill will still be able to post a Commonwealth Games qualifying throw, although he's still adjusting to the heavier 7.2-kilogram shot rather than the 6-kilogram one that he used at junior level. Certainly over the next five or six years, they're going to have some real interesting battles. Tom's a couple of years older and a bit more experienced with the heavier shot put. And Jacko is obviously an outstanding talent. So it's really exciting from uh, Athletics New Zealand's point of view that the two of them are coming through. And the good thing is Commonwealth Games, no complications that we can take up to three shot putters. So it's not a problem for us. At the other end of the age spectrum is 46-year-old hammer thrower Phil Jensen. 
is chasing his 20th national title in the discipline. No other New Zealand athletes won more titles in a single discipline, although Jensen says he'd be more than happy to retire if only someone would beat him as he's won the last 17 of those titles in succession. I'd be quite happy that um, someone has come along and knocked me off and then I could gracefully retire and, and go and do something else with my time. And I think that a lot of younger males especially are now sort of realising not everyone will make it in rugby. So they're looking at other avenues and we've got a crop of young guys coming through with the likes of you know Tom Walsh and Jack O'Gill. And then there's Ryan Tinkle and, and Matt Bloxham in the hammer who, who pushed me last year and, and I expect to push me very, very hard if not actually win. Do you get called granddad? No, they don't dare. When they beat me, they can do that. (laughs) All up, 574 athletes will compete at Newtown Park over the next three days, with 181 national titles up for grabs. That's Stephen Hewson reporting. As you heard, Valerie Adams will chase her 13th national title. I spoke to her and asked where those titles rank alongside her international wins. They are so special, you know, it's because of the history of them. You know, that's where I started. I went to my first nationals when I was 14. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's just great to come back. I've come specifically from Switzerland to be at the national championships this weekend. And it's great for me to be here. I'm pretty happy. It's not only for myself, but also to be here to support the sport. So I've got to do my bit, right? But for me, it's about being part of the whole national championships itself. You know, this is where I, I did start, and it's, it's, it is important to me. Um, this this year also is a Commonwealth Games, so I think a lot of athletes are trying to qualify this weekend. So it's going to be a big weekend anyways, plus the Jacko and Walsh saga, you know, and I think it's going to be a great competition between them. I'm pretty happy to be a curtain raiser, a curtain raiser for both of them. It's sort of like the warm-up game for the real game comes along. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's great. And I think this, this year is going to be one of the best nationals in a wee while. And I guess when you're at some of these big events around the world, I don't imagine you're very chummy with the... Uh... The, your competitors, but maybe here you might <laughs> well, yeah, talk, diff- talk a bit more, and you're helping helping the, some of the younger athletes. Absolutely, it is a lot different. You know, you, you can't really compare the two together. <laughs> it's completely different. That's why you know this is not you know too too much pressure as, as such. You know, for me, it's about I want to go out there and have some fun on Saturday, and you know whatever comes out comes out. But um, it is about inspiring young young people. And if we can, I can finish national championship inspiring one person, then you know my job is done. And even if the boys can do the same to one athlete then you know their job is done so it's it's pretty important for, for us to be here because it's I mean we're trying to develop athletics within New Zealand and this is our way of doing our bit you alluded to the Walsh Walsh versus Jacko thing yeah how, how good do you think that is for the sport having a bit of oh. um competition and it's fantastic captivated uh, spectators I guess it's fantastic I think it's fantastic for the sport any publicity we can get no matter what event it is for the sport it's, that, that's great so for you know, for us as Swarovers this is absolutely amazing it's going to be one of the best competitions we've had in, at Nationals for a wee while so between the two boys I think they're going to come out you know, and give it their all and make, make the best man win really whatever happens in the gym or out on the field and all the rest doesn't matter but you need to bring it into the ring and on competition day so you know Competition day is where it's at, and I wish them the both both the best of luck. So you, you could you could see one or both of them competing for a medal in Glasgow. You think? Absolutely, I'd I'd hope both of them will turn up, and hopefully both of them will get medals. You know, whatever the colour is, that's their that's their choice, and you know how far they throw on the day. But if they can both of them can get medals, then it's absolutely fantastic. This win streak you've got going at the moment. Yeah. 
is it something that is quite important to you? Because you, you seem to have t- talked about it quite a bit. Is it something that really sort of drives you at the moment? Well, you know, when, you, when you're doing sports, it is all about winning. Come on, you, you compete to win. You don't compete to, to get a second or third. You know, everybody's out there to compete to win. And whenever the girls are competing against me, they're trying to beat me to win. Um, this is going to be, I'm going for my 46th consecutive win this weekend. And, you know, my, my goal this year is to stay unbeaten for as long as possible. It's going to be a challenge, but I welcome that challenge of open arms. And, and it is something that I do, that, that is one of my goals. You know, you, when, when you are an athlete, you have to make set goals and you have to work towards them. So why not continue to win and try and win for as long as possible? You know, But when someone does knock me down, it's going to hurt. But hey, it's sport. It is what it is. And I, I guess when you've sort of achieved as much as you have in, a, in the sport yeah, and you're sort of well ahead of, or seem to be well ahead of the field at this point, is it about finding like little things like that that just keep you focused and locked in? Um, I tend to focus on what i got to do, you know, and I, you know, for, for me it's about making sure that, I, I mean, if you're talking about people overseas, sure, you know, the gap is wide now, but that, that was only, that, that's only now, and sure, but... You can never underestimate anybody at any time because anybody can come out and pop the biggest PB and probably the only PB of their life on that day and beat you. So you have to be as prepared as possible. I can only go out there and be the best I could be, you know, technically and physically and mentally. At the end of the day, it's all about mental games, at, you know, on competition day. So whoever has the best mental day, can take it out. And I guess another little goal would be um, maybe one one day reaching that world record. Do you think that's something that's achievable for you, or is that? It's just... not a goal. It's not my goal. You know, the world record was set in 1987, back in the days <laughs> of a lot of things. But you know, it, it isn't my goal. My goal is to be the best athlete Valerie could be for this country, and my goal is to you know hopefully be one of the athletes that holds the most titles in this world. You know, it's something. It's a, it's a goal that I've you know would like to set for myself, but. Well, well, the world record of people. A lot of people speak about it, and a lot of people has asked me if it is my goal. It's not my goal. My goal is to be the best Valerie can be. The Blues were rocked this week by the news their All Black halfback Pity Wepu had suffered a minor stroke earlier this month. Wepu was assessed by the team's medical staff after complaining of migraine-like symptoms, and underwent an MRI upon his return to New Zealand after the Blues' recent South African tour. He played three games of Super Rugby before the diagnosis was made. The Blues doctor Stephen Kara spoke to the media about the 30-year-old's condition. Prior to our trip to South Africa on the 1st of March, Perry presented with uh, an aphasia, which means that he had an inability to speak. Um, he could understand but couldn't um, uh, portray language properly, spoke uh, like he was drunk. This lasted for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours tops. Um, I saw him prior to us uh, leaving for South Africa. Um, These symptoms were followed by a headache and a nausea feeling. Um, And the time that I saw him, the um, the aphasia had corrected itself. That means he was then speaking properly. We uh, discussed this with a, a specialist prior to us getting on the plane. It was felt that because of the nature of his symptoms that this was um, most likely a migraine or a migraine variant. Um, and because Perry had recovered, we, uh, we took him to South Africa. In South Africa, he was monitored on a regular basis and reported no further symptoms. Except he did say to me that he felt that his speech was a bit slower 
and that he had some difficulty finding words or difficulty um, articulating words and had to think about the language that he used. Um, no one else was aware of this. In fact, if you talked to his teammates or the rest of the management, you wouldn't have a clue at all. And based on those symptoms, um, and he had no other clinical signs that had developed over that time, we elected to get a non-urgent uh, MRI scan once we got back from Africa. That MRI scan was done on Monday. Um, my initial look at that looked pretty clear to me, uh, looking for um, very obvious causes inside the brain that, that could uh, have been related with the symptoms, and that looked clear to me. The specialist looked at that on Tuesday morning, and uh, he reported a small area on the left side of the brain which is associated with an infarct. For that, that means a small or minor stroke. Um, we've subsequently, uh, Perry's had further investigations and was admitted to hospital yesterday to undergo those tests and further specialists have looked at him and can confirm that that, that is the diagnosis. So on that date, he suffered a minor stroke affecting the left parietal lobe or the left side of the brain is associated with speech function. Um, he is uh, currently extremely well and extremely normal Perry, if you know him, um, and very uh, happy and jovial and uh, probably tweeting away as we, as we speak. Um, and talking to him, you wouldn't notice any difference at all. He will make a full recovery, um, and it's expected at this time for him to miss four weeks of rugby. However, we, there is one test that's still pending that he had this morning. The causes for this is unknown at this stage. We uh, have done further tests to look at anything inside the brain which could have caused this, for example, a tumour or an aneurysm, which is a, a dilation of the blood vessels, and that's all negative. We also looked at the uh, major arteries which come from the heart uh, to feed the, the brain with blood supply because they can be damaged in contact sport. Um, and there was some uh, concern that him being a rugby player that that may have happened, but that's completely clear. So if I can get you to report, um, what I'd like you to report is the fact that this is not a rugby-related incident. This is not related to uh, a concussive event or to any blow. This is something that happens in the, the normal population. And as you know, that our, these guys just play rugby, but they represent the normal population. Um, so we can't find a cause for that inside his brain or the blood vessels supplying the brain. Uh, he's had another scan this morning, which I don't know the results of, and we won't know the results of that uh, for probably another 24 hours until the specialists have had a look for us, and that's to look at the heart as a source of a possible clot. That's what we think has happened, that he's had a clot which has uh, parked itself in that part of the brain. Um, and so that's what we're... We're trying to find the source, and we're looking for a heart-related uh, cause. Should that be negative, um, then Perry is going to be on some long-term medications as blood thinners, and um, the potency of the medication in which he's going to be on will still allow him to play rugby in a safe manner. Um, should the heart scan show that there is a small defect in the heart, and the most common cause in these instances is a small hole in the heart. Probably 40% of us in the population have these but don't know them. Um, then he would uh, undergo some minor surgery to correct that. So long-term playing future looks, uh, looks pretty good. Um, just the short term, uh, he would have to take a, a, a brief stint on the sidelines until we are sure that the risk is minimised 
as much as we can and we've uh, sort of uh, turned over every stone we can to ensure we've uh, looked for a cause. That's the Blues doctor, Stephen Carra. Meanwhile, an Australian study has confirmed what many rugby fans long suspected. Referees are biased. The study by the Queensland University of Technology has found that bias is linked to a referee's national identity. The study looked at data from the Super 14 rugby competition in 2009, the European Super League from 2006 to 2009, and also considered results in the 2011 Super Rugby competition. Professor Lionel Page says they found teams were more likely to succeed when playing a team from another country with a referee of their own nationality involved. Morning Report's Simon Mercip spoke to Page about the findings. We are interested in looking at how people make decisions and we were interested in uh, referees because referees make uh, very tough decisions under time pressure and social pressure. So we looked at how referees make decisions when they could have potentially a preference for one of the team in rugby. So Super Rugby, since 2009, allows to have a non-neutral referee, to have a referee who has the same nationality as one team but not the other. And so we looked whether this could impact the outcome of the game. And, and all results suggest that it does. And what did you find? So the initial paper we have looked uh, initially only at the 2009 results, but we, we have replicated these results on 2010 and 2011 results. And what we found is that, suppose an Australian team is playing with an Australian referee, the home team win in 71% of the situation, while if the home team has a referee which is from another country, it will be only 50%. That was on the 2000 data. It's just looking at the 2000 uh, results of the Super Rugby. But what about over the three years that you looked at? They were con- exactly consistent with this kind of results. That is, there is a, s- a significant difference in probability to win the match depending on whether the referee is on your uh, nationality, whether it is neutral, so when it's neutral, it's, it's in the middle, or whether the referee is, uh, is, is on the opposite team's nationality. And how confident are you that you've looked at enough results over enough years to be able to say that the nationality of the referee has a definite influence on the outcome of the game? The simplest explanation to explain all results is that there is a preference of referees in favour of teams from their own nationality. A preference which does need to be conscious or explicit, but a preference which is revealed through many decisions which are 50-50 decisions and which tends eventually to be in favour of one team or the other. And you don't need many, many decisions or many obviously wrong decisions to impact a match. You know, it can be a yellow card, it can be a try uh, decision. Often the, the dynamics of the match can be changed from one or two decisions at some critical points. So this study builds on other studies which have shown this kind of biases in other sports. So that's also a reason why we're pretty confident that it's, it's not likely to be, um, you know, just a statistical artifact. In, just in Australia, you have results in AFL uh, showing that referees tend to advantage the teams from their own states. And you had a, a study on cricket suggesting that in the past, when referees were not neutral, you had Australian referees for quite a while who were giving more leg-before-wicket decisions in favour of Australian teams. Of course, in cricket, they've done away with that, and there are only neutral referees in test matches. Exactly. So, are French referees biased? Uh, I think... I think any, I think our results are not so much about you know some referees from some countries being biased. It's more about any referee is likely to to be biased. And 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 as we say in the, in our research, I mean this is a very difficult job. I mean you you see now with uh, TV replays that video referees make decisions over sometimes like more than one or two minutes 
with a frame by frame you know image from different angles so clearly when you ask um, when you ask a referee to make decisions in a split second uh, during the play of the game you are going to have some some errors and sometimes some errors are going to systematically go one way or the other and i guess what we find is that if it's likely that the referee has a, some proximity to one team rather than another it may lead to biases in in all the decisions which are made that's professor Lionel Page from the Queensland University of Technology just how much impact the recent governance changes at the International Cricket Council will have on New Zealand's future playing schedule should become clearer when the Future Tours program through until the mid-2020s is mapped out over the next week or so. New Zealand cricket officials will attend an ICC meeting in Bangladesh this weekend to try and map out the future schedule from 2020 to 2025. New Zealand Cricket's operations manager Lindsay Crocker spoke to Stephen Hewson about what the schedule might look like. What we're trying to do is, is confirm the current arrangements. We start flat from scratch, try to re-piece it together, it'd be, a, it'd be a bit of a shamozzle. So what we're trying to do is confirm as much as we can the current Future Tours program. Um, there's a few movements like this one and others. We know uh, down the track uh, a year or two away that we know we've just got to tweak a wee bit to move them around a wee bit. But by and large, the next the program up to 2020 is fairly firmly set. Um, and then beyond that... Um, that's when the, the negotiations are getting from, in our case, 2020 through to 2025. We're aiming to get out to. Um, that's where we're piecing together. We've got commitments from India and England and Australia and working at the moment in South Africa and others that we'll, we'll piece together over time when we when we meet in this room, as I say. So uh, it's quite a complex arrangement when you've got uh, so many teams uh, and so many distance to travel for each of those those commitments. So it's... Uh, Quite a program, but hopefully we'll be a fair way down the track with it when we uh, get through the next week. I suppose this is sort of where the rubber meets the road with, with those, with the changes that have obviously gone on a couple of months ago with England, India, and Australia. How much of a a promise is it's going to turn into reality? I suppose for beyond twenty twenty. Yeah, well, I think the difference is before SDP, we're all kind of committed to it, um, whereas India, we're a bit reluctant to fully commit to it. Now, with this new regime, what we will do is, um, it'll still, I guess, be called a future tours program or, or something like that, but what it'll mean is that there'll be firm arrangements, signed agreements between the countries to make sure that those commitments do, in fact, uh, hold, and if for any reason they do need to be adjusted, for whatever reason it is, then this further a commitment to actually replace them at some future date of the program. So what it does, and the the greatest value of that, is it actually commits India to the whole program, which I guess is is a piece of greatest uncertainty. So with India committing both to uh, FTP arrangements or what we call bilateral arrangements, one-on-one country events, that's one part of the program, but also uh, the other part of it is India will then commit to the world events, such as we're seeing at the moment, because, again, with India and the commercial worth of those events is far greater. Have you already got sort of pre-negotiation a commitment from India as to what they'll play and it's simply a case of slotting it in as to when? Uh, both, really. Well, what we've got is both, and hopefully what we'll do is... Uh, and that's the early start of it. You get, and we've managed to get commitments from India and from Australia. Then what we do is we sit in the room and then piece bits around it to see if it all holds. So... 
none of it's yet ready for release because it's not confirmed, but certainly uh, we've got agreements from the big boys for some of those events. So we can be satisfied we'll be seeing the big countries just as regularly, if not more so than the past. Uh, and of course, dollar-wise, the expectation is it will be better off because the um, with India better down and definitely in the program, it increases the commercial worth. So... Uh, and, and so we should be no better off content wise, no worse off rather content wise, and hopefully better off dollar wise. That's Lindsay Crocker speaking to Stephen Hewson. The New Zealand women's hockey team are ramping up their preparations for the World Cup, with a test series against Korea before a Six Nations tournament in the Hawke's Bay. The Black Sticks play two tests against Korea and Auckland before the Hawke's Bay Festival, which will see them take on Australia, Argentina, China, Korea and Japan. Richard Wayne spoke to the defender Samantha Charlton, who will play a test at the home of her Somerville club for the first time against Korea. These two games against Korea, they're actually selection games for the Six Nations tournament, so everybody's out there to kind of put their hand up for um, selection for the Hawks Bay tournament. Um, yeah, as much as it is about building as a team as well, I think it's fantastic that there's still so much competition for sp- spots. I think sometimes in teams it, it can be really um, obvious who's going to be picked, but I don't think it's at all like that in our team. I think everyone's been really pushing hard at training, and it's great to see that we've still got you know 20 to 26 I and mean, a couple of injured, but you know we've got lots of players still available for selection. And it looks uh, like a good build-up to the World Cup that's been organised here. First year that San Diego series, which you won, congratulations. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, these, these uh, four tests before the uh, Six Nations. So you'll be playing a lot of the top countries here, Australia, uh, Argentina in there, you know. Yeah, uh, we're really lucky. I think it's not often that we get so many teams of such a high calibre. We might get one at a time over for a test series. But it's great that we have the, the team, five different teams sort of replicate that tournament format. And in New Zealand, it's, it's fantastic, I think. Um, it's great for the Hawks Bay to kind of get their name out there, I suppose, all, all over the world to these teams. And... Um, yeah, really looking forward to the tough competition. It's going to be a really tough one. And after, well, it's a World Cup, then Com Games, isn't it? Yes, um, pretty quick turnaround. So after the Six Nations, we've got one rest week and four training weeks, and then um, off to the pre-World Cup um, build-up and the World Cup. And then I think after World Cup, we're only back for another three weeks before we head off again to Com Games. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty full-on and pretty busy. So now look, just um, looking, looking ahead, do you, can you see hockey going professional? I mean, these new rules changes that seem aimed at television really which is you know clearly trying to raise the profile of the sport and perhaps one day you know extend from those little European competitions into something yeah. wider uh, yes and no I think it would be fantastic if it did and I suppose it, it definitely just all comes down to the viewers so um, whilst it was really disappointing to kind of hear that we weren't playing 70 minutes of hockey anymore I think you can completely understand where the FIH are coming from they just want more viewers to watch the game and um, I think they're just looking for any ways to make it more exciting so I mean I mean, if it brings in more viewers and more money for the sport, then I suppose at the end of the day, the players will be the ones that benefit. That's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves and we'll be back with more Extra Time next week. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.